Martin. We're recording. Welcome to the Tim Biscuit Pop. Today we've got a new guest, that is Fred Vogel. Thanks for coming on. Have I said your second name right? Yes. Did I say your surname okay? Yeah, Vogel, that's it. Cool beans. Um, before we get started, just a quick shout out to our sponsors. That is RoomSilk.com. They're a bird care company that does awesome oils, balms and things like that. Sunglasses made of wood and combs. And the other one is Tenga.co.uk and they're an adult toy company, sex toy company. So with both companies at checkout, if you put the code TINBISCUIT, capital T, capital B, you'll get 15% off your first order. Also, I don't do Patreon. Um, all my content's free, but I do have a PayPal donation thing. So if anyone wants to donate, anything's good because I pay for this out of my own pocket. I don't get paid for this. so And I like to keep all my content free. So it benefits everyone. Anyway, thanks for coming on. Um, the reason I've got you on because you're notorious for a set of films you did called The August Underground. And by many reports, they are some of the sickest films if not the sickest films ever made and it's not just one one report i haven't seen mordom or the second one i think i saw your third one i did have a copy of it penance isn't isn't that right was of that your That's, third yeah one? the first one's august underground the second one is august underground's mordom yeah. and the third one is august underground's penance right can you tell us a bit about them and how you got into horror and why they're so sick and depraved <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I was, I feel like I was born with this macabre gene, you know, I was always attracted to the dark side of things. I loved monsters, um, you know, growing up in the eighties, lots of great horror movies, uh, you know, special effects was at its height. I was into all that shit. Um, you know, reading Fangoria magazine and gore zones and anything that I can get my hand on with the special effects I was all about. So... All through growing up, I knew I wanted to be a special effects artist. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be in that world. So when it came time for me to make my first movie, um, you know, I was teaching at the Tom Savini Makeup School at the time. So I was like, at the, oh, you know, cool. doing the best special effects I was doing. Um, and I knew that I could pull off a serial killer movie uh, properly. I wanted to do something that, like, you know, what Hollywood wouldn't even show you. I wanted to make something really sick, really realistic, really brutal, because that's what, uh, you know, that's what those people do. You know, violence isn't fun. So, um, you know, August Underground was kind of birthed out of all of that. Mm. Uh, I saw Penance. It wasn't very nice, but the sickest film I've seen, that I feel I've seen, was the film called Aftermath which is only 20 minutes long, yeah. no talking in it. It just disturbed me the way it and it like was set. But um, Penance had like, a, yeah, yours have got a real brutal realism about it. A bit like, um, not so much like things like um, murder set pieces. Yours is like, it's done amateurly, but it's, it's very, very, very realistic. And it's like quite, it's not a nice film to watch, but it's quite... You know, it's quite brutal. Very yeah, brutal. It, it had to be. You know, the August Underground movies had to be, uh, they had to look real or the idea wouldn't work. You know, like the way that I degraded the, the footage to look like it was just like an old VHS tape, the way the takes are longer, um, you know, the whole Cinema Verite style. Uh, you know, that was all just to really make the medium look legit. You know, mm -hmm. when I made August Underground in 2001, um, a lot of the movies that were shot prior to that, 
on video um, just didn't look good. You know, we were just us as fans of movies. We were used to watching film, and so when the you know in the the late '80s, the '90s, you know, they were starting to make more movies shot on video, and they just kind of looked like they were shot on video. So I knew that when I was making August Underground, I didn't want it to look like shit, but I wanted to give it some style and I wanted it to give it that realism. So that why it was a you know it was a choice to make it look you know like it was a home video. That was the whole concept of it. Um, but you know movies like Aftermath um, and you know Murder Set Pieces, which I did the special effects for. Uh, you know, you know, those movies, they look beautiful. They're just telling a, you know, a horrible story. You know what I mean? August Underground is supposed to be very nihilistic and uh, just very raw and brutal. So yeah. you believe what you're seeing. Was, was you inspired by the sort of, the sort of European horror? Germany's quite brutal in the stuff they do. And also you've got the godfather of like guinea pig. The like oh, yeah, sort of, of course. Sort of film of course. series. I mean, um, I was in, I'm, you know, I love horror and I watched everything. So, I mean, I was watching Olaf Ettenbach's, you know, The Burning Moon. I was watching the guinea pig movies. I was watching Man Bites Dog. I was watching Cannibal Holocaust. I was watching, you know, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Um, you know, those movies made me feel really uncomfortable. And, you know, that's what I love about movies. You know, movies are supposed to make you feel something. And, um, you know, like I said, I kind of like I'd like darker stories and darker content. And, you know, at 23 years old, when I made August Underground, you know, you have all that angst of a young man, you know, and you want to make something so fucking brutal that, you know, it gets people's attention. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I set out to do. So what sort of background is your horror? What's some like your favorite horror films to watch? Is it? Sort of like the stuff he like he like Roth likes the like really brutal stuff like Cannibal Holocaust because like Cannibal Holocaust is probably my favorite horror film along with The Exorcist. But what sort of background in horror do you sort of go back to and sort of say that's you know that's what I wanted to do? Yeah. Frankenstein 1931 is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, so I kind of I kind of I kind of started with. You know, those, the classic Universal Monster movies, and then, you know, growing up in the 80s, watching everything that I could. But movies like Maniac, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave. Um, you know, more of those exploitation roughy um, mm-hmm. horror films, uh, which, you know, you guys over there had a hard time getting, but they were at your local video store here. It wasn't a problem watching yeah. Last House on the Left or, or anything like that. Um, so it was easy for me to get my hands on it at a very young age watching these kind of movies. And, uh, you know, of course, when I when you watch the credits, you know, I would see names like Tom Savini and all these great special effects artists. And it just uh, kind of set me on my path. It was like, OK, these are the guys that I like. These are the guys making these kind of movies. Um, I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to be closer to Tom Savini and George Romero, hoping that I can work with them one day. So, um, you know, I was very goal oriented, you know, when, when it came to like what I wanted to do, I was on a straight course was like, okay, I'm going to make horror movies. Like that's my plan since I was like five. <laughs> was it always the extreme side of horror you like went to? Cause I'm like, I'm a big collector, but I collected a lot of extreme horror. Then I've I'm not grown up, but I've got older and I'm like, I 
can't really handle watching it anymore. It just it just sort of don't sit right with me. But say five years ago, I had all the sort of faces of death. I had all the guinea pigs. I had all the sort of unearthed stuff um, where the dead go to die. I had penance. I had the murder set of pieces. I had that Serbian film, um, which people say that's the sickest film ever. Like seeing where I say, well, I don't think it's all that sick at all. Way made, well made film, but I don't think Serbian film is the sickest film I've seen. When you go to like labels like under like sort of unearthed, and you get to see your sort of stuff and like the raw stuff, that's when it starts to hit home. But did you ever think I want to go down the mainstream? Because a lot of mainstream horror now is um, jump scares, and it's like same old, same old. There's nothing really good coming out of the mainstream horror cinema unless you get an independent film maybe prime on netflix or go onto youtube mm-hmm. what you know what do you feel uh, you, about that you know same thing. i'm 44 years old um I, I i grew up you know watching the nastiest of the nasty you know, the traces of death the faces of death i think that's kind of like a rite of passage for anybody who takes that next level in horror you know mm. and watching horror movies you know you start off with what you've seen the first time and it's like, okay, you're watching Nightmare on Elm Street and how what gets what's scarier than that? You know, then you find the Texas Chainsaw Massacres and then you find the Friday the 13th and you find all these movies and you keep working your way up until eventually you're watching real death footage in like a Traces of Death or a Faces of Death um, movie. Um, and then, you know, it's the same thing, you know, you get older and like that stuff, you, you, you know, you your own mortality starts to kick in because now you're in your thirties and your forties and the people that you care about are dying and you understand really what life is all about. Um, but to me, you know, I love the genre, you know, I love the horror genre. I love, you know, I love ghost movies. I love possession movies. I love slasher films. You know, I love exploitation horror. I mean, you name it. I love it. Um, do I have to watch that shit every day? No. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, I watch everything. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a true cinephile. I literally watch everything that I can get my hands on, um, just so I can study the craft and see what other filmmakers are doing. Um, it, it again, it's, it's really just, I think you, 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 you kind of grow out of things, you know, like, you, when you're a little kid, you play with your toys. You get older, you still might have those toys. Like I got, I got shit on my shelves from the '80s and the stuff yeah. that I grew up. I mean, they sit on my shelves and I love them to this day. But do I take them out and smash them around and you know use my imagination and 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 play like that? No, that's just because my brain is focused on other things like you know my family, um, bills and work and all that other stuff. So that's yeah. really what that all comes down to. Yeah. Um because when I, you like touched on it before but being in the uk at that time when i was at school say 1994 to get hold of the exorcist was near impossible because it was still banned mm-hmm. motorbikes going past um but now <coughs> really they've they've released everything i mean obviously you can't get stuff like cannibal ferox and cannibal holocaust because they've got the animal death scenes in mm-hmm. uh, there's certain films you still can't but stuff like texas chainsaw massacre and um, the burning and things like that have all come off the video nasty list so um for i mean sort of the exorcist for me is the scariest film i've like, ever seen and it's yeah. like it still scares me to this day <laughs> oh see i saw the exorcist when i was like four years old 
So it was, I remember seeing it. I remember being so small oh. that like my mom was watching it on the couch and I was behind her kind of like peeking over her shoulders uh, to see it. And I just remember, you know, Reagan being on the bed, smashing back and forth, screaming. And that shit terrified me. And it gave me the, it, you know, it still sticks with me. Um, you know, movies back then were just so, I don't know if it's because we saw them, I saw them when I was younger. So they have like this nostalgic feel to them, but they were just, I just feel like the craft was better. I think, you know, a lot of the filmmaking was better. There wasn't all this special effects stuff, the CGI stuff that kind of, uh, you know, can fix all the flaws you know, in The Exorcist, that you know, the room that they're in when Reagan's tied to a bed's a freezer. You know, that's real smoke. That's real cold air breath coming out of their mouth. That's real. That's not some special effect on there. I mean, like, you feel the cold in there. You feel, you yeah. know, all that stuff just because it was just real. And, you know, you had to do a lot of things practical back then. And for me, I try to do that in my movies. I, tr- You know, it's all about practi- practical effects. Yes, I do have some computer stuff if I need to enhance something, but, uh, you know, I'd rather have rubber monsters and fake blood any day, you know, than than CGI. And that's that's just my personal choice, you know, because, again, I want something that I can touch and feel and see that that is real, and that's just not a, you know, computer mapping. I mean, a lot of films are coming out now that are using practical effects still. Um, you mm. touching on the realism, I can remember the scene in Jaws at the beginning where sort of she's being swayed from side to side. Apparently, her screams were real. Um, the girl in at the end of the Tex- Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. The clown in the poltergeist, there was a scene there where it nearly went wrong. Yeah. So I'd like to... And, Blair Witch Project as well, they didn't really know what was going on. And, like, I think that... Ed, um, it sort of adds to the atmosphere of the film. But do you, being in the film industry where I'm not, do like you find a lot of filmmakers are tied to like what the studio says for them to do? Like, well, I want three jump scares in the first 30 minutes and we want it to be this, this, this and this. Because things like Annabelle, The Conjuring are good, but they're just, they're just a bit, a bit. They're, they're just, they're so formulaic, you know, and that comes, it's, it's like, all right, in the script, we need to have, three kills by this moment. We need to have a jump scare by this moment. It's all, it's like, here's the textbook of how you do that. Um, to me, I was never into that. You know, it's all about telling the story and how that story unfolds. Of course, you know, you want your film to have an arc, you know, you want a beginning, middle and end, or even if sometimes you don't even need that. Sometimes you start at the end and work your way to the beginning, you know, or whatever, like a Tarantino movie. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just the idea is just making the best film that you can make with what you have. Um, you know, with me being an independent filmmaker and financing my own movies, um, I get to make what I want, you know, and has it, it, it hasn't helped me, you know, become like super successful filmmaker, you know, like I'm not making, you know, movies that are in the movie theater right now, unfortunately, but I don't even care about that. You know, I'm glad that I can make my movies for my fans, giving them what I want to give them, knowing that's what they want, too. You know, they want, uh, you know, different stories. They how many movies have been done about, you know, serial killers? You know, I gave them something fresh with August Underground. You know, how many how many possession movies are out there? And I gave them something fresh with the Redson Tower. I'm always trying to give people something fresh 
because I've seen them. I've seen it all. You know, I'm not trying to regurgitate or reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to like mm. put my own spin on it and make something that's, you know, more of a Fred Vogel movie. How do you feel about the um, the August Underground DVDs and light sets going for ridiculous amounts on them like eBay? Because like I've seen one once and it was like nearly ninety eight pound UK pounds for like just one of your DVDs. And if it's signed by yourself, it goes up for even further. And if you can get the full set of the first editions, because like some of them were limited as well, I believe. Yeah, they're all limited. Uh, and if, yeah, so if you get the low numbers that can go into the hundreds of pounds, what? How like how does that make you feel? Because like the rare DVDs, one thing I found of the like sort of unearthed that they're very expensive. Once sort of they come out, you find them on eBay for yeah. over fifty pounds, over eighty. What does that make you feel? Does does that take it? Does it piss you off a bit? Or well, I mean, I wish I was getting that money. Um, you know, August just happened and. Uh, I was I was I put up a few August Underground Blu-rays for the fans out there signed, you know, for 50 bucks, where if you go on eBay right now, it's 100, 200 dollars for it. And that's just me. And that's just me giving it to the fans because, you know, that, that's who I made the movies for. Um, you know, something is what you a collectible is what you want to pay for something, you know. I collect, you know, vintage wrestling figures from the 80s, and I spent a lot of money on some of them, and I'm willing to pay that because that's what I'm willing to pay. Um, you know, some people want my movies so bad that they're willing to pay $100. I, I don't set the bar for where the market is. I try to keep my movies collectible and rare because they're not made for everybody. Like, no. I don't want Joe Schmo down the street having my movie that's going to fuck their head up. You know what I mean? Or your kids are going to see it and scar them for life. Like, I really don't, you know, that's not the point. The point is, is like, I want the true fans, the people that are like, oh, I need to have this. Or the true collectors, oh, I need to have the most mm. extreme movies or all of Fred's movies. That's what I want. Um, so, I mean, even like my new movie that's coming out, The Final Interview, um, I'm only doing 1,983 special edition Blu-ray DVD soundtrack combos um, because I want the I want the people who have always supported me to be able to you know get excited and be like oh I got one of them you know what I mean it's exciting when there's not many copies available and you get one of those and it's on your shelf yeah so because um, I'm a collector. You know, and I and I, I make my movies for, you know, horror fans and collectors all in one, so. What's, um, you say you're a collector, what's your most rarest DVD, would would you say? Oof. The rarest DVD. I mean, I got some VHSs that are worth a lot of money, you know, Last House and Dead End Streets and, um, you know, first, you know, first, uh, Tapes of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like with the you know from Wizard and and, uh, and you know things like that. Um, I'm trying to think what my most expensive DVD is. Probably my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have a I did have a copy of one of the Necromonicon editions of. Oh, I, like, I, yeah, Dead I have all those. I have the Barrel ones. I have you know. Necromancy. And that was a limited. They're important and movies. That was, and that was a hard box edition from Europe. And there used to be a dead good site from Europe that I got. I got a bad taste one in the, and in the tin edition. And I wish I didn't have sold this one. I had the XT edition of Cannibal Holocaust with the like 
you, you know the statue with the, the statue yeah yeah and like i sold it and i thought why have i sold that and i had the v8s edition of um faces of death in like the box set but yeah. i was a skin and like an idiot i just sold half my collection i'm like why have i sold all that but that's it but was, you know what i'm sure i'm sure that money helped you at that time you know yeah i meet so many i meet so many people that are who sell my stuff and it's like they hate doing it but like hey if it's gonna pay your bills like if you bought it for 40 bucks and now you can get 200 dollars for it and that's gonna like pay your car payment or you know so your electric doesn't get turned off sell that shit you know yeah. what i mean you'll find it again if you really want it bad enough, you'll find it again. Um, yeah. So you know, I again, that's just you know, all of us collectors do it. You know, we'll you know we'll buy stuff and then you know something pops up and you have to get rid of it. Unfortunately, it happens. You know. Yeah. What do you think to the Japanese way? Because I, you know, I I did some trades and I never watched them, but I got some proper weird stuff through because the Japanese states seemed you know really big in this eel fetish and this shit fetish thing and i got a few trades of that and they go for even the copied ones go for a ridiculous amounts of money and i couldn't understand it because i just want my thing i didn't want to watch it but because i got a trade with something else and someone said i'll just send you this it was just ended up on you know my shelf then i just thought i don't need that in my life even though it's a good thing to have i just thought I'd sell it. Why do you think the Japanese and then the Europeans are a bit more extreme and hardcore? But it seems to be the Japanese are a bit strange in the filmmaking. Because like Guinea Pig original, I know it's been remade in America, but the original one in Japan was that about 1980. Because Charlie Sheen saw one, didn't he? Was it Flower yeah. of the Flesh? Yeah. And he and he told the FBI. Then the FBI went on a manhunt. They had to get them all. Then they sent this big snuff thing out. But why? Why? Why are they a bit more extreme in their filmmaking? I think that it, it's it, it has to do with the country. You know what I mean? When you have so many people over in Japan, you know, Asia is just huge. And I mean, there there's still lots of that old school mentality and upbringing and um you know, you have to you have to like dig deep to you know find things that turn you on, and I think that's really what happens. Is I think you know it's there's just so much there's so much history over there that like you know the the culture is different and you know just like any culture you want to you know we're always seeking something new that turns you on, and I think that, you know the Japanese there's just, there's so many people with so many people there's so many ideas you know yeah so you say you've got a new film coming out was it the last it, interview the final What's interview. That about oh the final interview sorry so obviously it's about the final interview but can you tell us a bit more about the story or yeah uh so the final interview is about um a spree killer on death row named darius tidman who is being interviewed by he um a really famous news reporter named oliver ross who's kind of like on the downslope of his career. You know, he was really big in the sixties and seventies and now in the early eighties, you know, alcohol and women and gambling and all that kind of stuff has just got to him. And, uh, he's given one last shot to do this interview. So the movie is very much, um, you know, two men talking to each other, 
And uh, I'm very lucky to have Granger Hines, who is the star of um, the Coen Brothers Buster Scruggs. Uh, that was on Netflix. Uh, Diane Franklin from Better Off Dead and Amityville Horror and The Last American Virgin. And then Damien Marusak, who is one of my regulars, who was in my movie Celeturcica and Murder Collection. Cool. Um, and where is it going to be released? Is it going to be released on Unearthed again or is it going to be... Could no, we find it? Say HMV. It's, it's, it's going to be released through me. The only way you can get it is from my website, thefinalinterviewmovie.com. And like I said, right now, there's only going to be 1,983 copies. So um, once I sell those copies, I'm, you know, maybe I'll do some streaming. Maybe I'll do another regular pressing of the, of the Blu-ray. But right now, it's the Super Collector's Edition that has the Blu-ray, the DVD, and the soundtrack. And it's loaded with special features, and it comes with, um, you know, portrait cards from this amazing artist, Paul Naylor, who is from the UK, um, as well as like, you know, Oliver Ross's business card and signed photos. And it's, it's a whole package. It's a nice, it's a nice set. That's cool. So if people wanted to find out more about you and your films, where should they add? Because you are on Instagram, aren't you? Are you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook. So if from like people wanted to see you and get more information on them, like your films, where sort of can they go and find it my only two social media outlets that i use is facebook and instagram um and then you know you can just look me up online you know um i'm out there in the interweb so um you know it's right now all my movies are out of print they're really hard to get and um so the final interview is my first movie not with my company toe tag it's kind of like my solo project so Mm -hmm. Um, you won't be able to buy the final interview through ToeTag. You'll be, it's, it's a completely separate ent- entity. But all my other movies from ToeTag are out of print right now, but I hope to have those back in print you know, sometime next year. It's just been really crazy with this whole COVID thing going on. Oh, yeah, I, I, that's sort of like something else. How's, um, and how's that affected you personally doing this COVID? Has it put a halt too much? Or have you still been trying to do pre like sort of pre-production stuff and editing or has it put a halt to all sort of your filmmaking no it, it definitely has so when i'm not making my own movies um in the pittsburgh local union and i work on a lot of the big studio projects in pittsburgh and i was actually getting re- i was actually working on a television show for showtime um when covid hit so you know a lot, a lot of us industry people are all right now waiting to when we can get back to work so that's kind of where I'm at, unfortunately. And because of this, it kind of put a little bit of fire under my ass to bring to make the final interview come out um, and stop doing film festivals. I was doing film festivals for a year with the final interview, and we won a few uh, Best Pictures and Best Actor awards. So that was really great. But now that film festivals are all becoming, you know, watching them online – you know, I, I really wanted people to have the experience of watching it on the big screen. So now that that's not happening, it was just more important just to get it out there for people to see. So that's why we're putting it out now. Wicked. Do you think people are going to bring out any horror films to do with COVID-19? Oh, I'm sure, you know. But again, it's, you, you know, watching a movie is watching somebody's mouth move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to want to watch a movie with people with face masks on the whole time. 
you know. Well, no, um, <laughs> the it, face mask uh, thing's a bit. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting what the, you know. I'm sure what they decide to do. It's either going to be like they're not going to even talk about it and make movies about it, you know, and just kind of like forget it, it it happened and just get back to normal, or maybe they will. I don't. I really don't know. I'm I'm interested to see, but this whole thing has really messed up a lot of. It definitely messed up Hollywood a lot. A lot of the movies that were supposed to come out this summer, I mean, Jesus. And, you know, here in the States, summertime blockbusters is huge. Going to the movies is such a big deal. And all the movies like the new Top Gun and, you know, um, I mean, there's just so much stuff that was supposed to come out and it, it didn't. You know, they're all waiting till next year. The new Halloween movie was supposed to come out in October and they got pushed that back to next year. And the new so, Ghostbusters uh, film's out soon, isn't it, as well? Yeah, it's just to know that they're not, you know, just not making the money, you know, but it's going to change things. People are going to be scared to go to movie theaters and, you know, this whole thing is just scaring people and changing the way that we think. Like, do I want to go sit in a movie theater with all these people, you know, coughing and whatever. But like before we didn't think anything of it, you know, but now it's, you know, now it's all on our mind, you know, so it's going to take some time for, you know, shit to get kind of back to normal. I might believe you've got to wear a face mask in the UK now if you go to the cinema. So that'd be interesting to eat your popcorn and drink your Coke. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been that... going to drive in a lot more lately. The, the, you know, I'm really happy that there's the drive in movie theater um, out here in Pittsburgh. You know, and, I, and they're showing all the classics. So I just got to see Night of the Living Dead and Evil Dead in a double feature and christine oh, cool. are and i'm getting ready to go see uh they live and maximum overdrive so that should be fun wicked what's what's some like your favorite modern horror film then to come out say in the last five years uh, mainstream horror mainstream horror uh you know there hasn't been much that i really you know it's again the um everything seemed very you know much the same like the conjuring movies all seem the same you know the, you know the annabelle movies all seem the same i just didn't, wasn't really too interested in a lot of that stuff i did see the the child's play remake which i i went in not wanting to see it but then i kind of enjoyed it because I, they did a really cool spin on it yeah um that you know that that really represented the times um but you know it's 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 really hard for me to, to to pick. Nothing really stands out, and that's a shame. You know, it's, I, it's a shame that I can't I can't think. And, and I'm sure there's some good stuff out there, and people are making some good stuff. But you know, like what was the last thing that I saw that was kind of interesting was like It Follows or something, and that was what almost ten years ago now or something. Yeah. Time just moves so fast. I quite like um, Happy Death Day and The Babysitter. I know The Babysitter's bringing out a new film, but they were quite different. And I like what they're doing with Unfriended, a bit of a different spin using technology. Yeah, I haven't seen um, any. No? No. So, stuff like that. But um, it does seem to be a bit regurgitated and a bit too you know at times moronic and a bit too samey and you just want an injection of something different something fresh and vibrant but we don't seem to be getting that and i don't know if we will now due to this corona i mean as you said about the new child's play reboot really good really different spin on it and it was quite better than i thought yeah i thought so So you know i was i saw the original in the theater and um, i'm like why are they doing this and i didn't like the way the doll looked when everything was starting to come out 
And then, um, then when I saw it and it, it, it really, it just made sense of what's going on with like, you know, the Google and the Alexa and, you know, having these things that turn on your, t- you know, to do all this stuff and turn on your TV and play a song and, and to make a Chucky doll that kind of does that stuff and wants to help you, you know, I just thought it was really, it was smart, you know, and that's, what, and that's, if, if you're going to remake something, tr- please try to make it smart and, uh, and, and change it a little bit because it's, yeah, there's so many bad remakes out there. Yeah, it's like was a really clever idea because it didn't use the supernatural. Yeah, it, like use modern tech, modern, you know, modern technology, technology. Exactly. and like it was still scary. So, because yeah. in the '80s, possession and you know Satan and you know witchcraft and stuff that was scary, you know. But now technology is scary. It's you know anything from like having your your life hacked because of technology, people identity theft and all this shit. Like that's some yeah. scary stuff. When you have no, no control over it, you wake up one morning, your bank account's fucking empty. You know, and it's like how <laughs> yeah. that happened. Oh, I went to a gas station and put my credit card in there. That, that happened to me. You know, I I woke up one day and my bank called me and they're like, hey, why? you never shopped at this place before, but you spent $2,000. You know, we wanted to make sure that this was you. And I'm like, well, it's not, you know, and it's somebody got my credit card number, you know, through going to a gas station and put my money into the, into the pump. It is scary. But you saying about Satan, I've sent you a video that I just did on like my YouTube channel. Cause I've acquired a debut box and it was from the house that Alistair Crowley stayed in. So mm-hmm. I've like sent you that I, I just, and I just did that today. But yeah, it's um, you are right in them like the eighties. It yeah, it was very dynamic and very satany. But now it's going towards technology and you know using it like yeah. that. That was the time though, you know, like shit, man. In the eighties, you know, satanistic stuff was the the rage. You turn any, you turn on Geraldo or I'm, I've, I mentioned a lot of you know American television shit. But, you know, um, even Oprah, you know, they were doing stories on kids, you know, that are obsessed with Satan, you know, and uh, it was just a scary time because, you know, people were still super, you know, religious in in like the 70s and 80s. And, um, you know, now with so much information at your hands, everybody's kind of like, ah, that's that's all bullshit. (laughs) So that's why you have to change. You know, that's why you don't see that many satanistic movies anymore but that shit scared the hell out of me when i was a kid you know i grew up catholic and going to church and um you know i remember watching like you know like the exorcist or you know any of those movies that had to do with any kind of demon possession or satanistic stuff that was pretty scary stuff very scary so what's in the future for yourself have from like you got any like film ideas coming up or have you got any new projects you're working on so bef- before I made the final interview, I was trying to make this really big movie called Pittsburgh Body Removal about the guys that pick up dead bodies here in Pittsburgh. And oh, cool. um, the money got super close, but it ended up not happening. Um, a lot of it had to do with my prior work. You know, when you look me up on the Internet, it's like Fred Vogel, most disturbing movies ever made. And that could be a hard sell for money people. And oh, we can't we can't show this actor your movies, Fred, and all this kind of stuff. I heard I heard everything, so I was just like, okay, well, I'm gonna make a movie and you know shove it up your fucking ass and you know show you that I can make, 
I, you know, I could tell, I can use Hollywood actors and, you know, tell, you know, have a, a very dramatic story and a, you know, in, in a thriller element. So I'm still trying to get that made. It's, it's, it's a really important passion project of mine. I love it to death. I really want to make it. I think I'm going to do it as a television show now instead of a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just got done with, um, you know, w- with my writing partner, Rebecca Swan, who also wrote the final interview. And um, it's a Christmas horror movie because I love Santa Claus killer movies, but they just they've sucked so long. So we came up with a really cool, fresh idea that's that's really brutal. And that's something that we're shopping around right now. Um, but then I also have um, I'm working on a wrestling movie. I love wrestling, especially like late 70s, early 80s wrestling. Um, and I'm working on I'm working on a project with that right now, too. So that's, so that's wicked. So horror, to, you know, to drama. You know what I mean? I'm I'm trying to, like, spread my wings a little bit more, you know, like when you've made the most disturbing movies, like, where do you go? You know what I mean? Like, I already did that <laughs> shit. Yeah, and, I've. Uh, it's time for it's time for somebody else to come around and cut off some nipples and smear shit in it. You know what I mean? Like I did that. Uh, I, I I just want to tell some really good. I got a lot of great stories in my head and I want to I want to bring them to life and you know making movies. Have you ever thought about doing a stop motion horror? I love stop motion. It's a lot of hard work. It is know? hard work. Yeah, of, very. It's a lot of hard work and you need the money behind it to do that and the time. Um, you know, my head special effects artist for toe tag, Jeremy Cruz, he's an amazing puppeteer and we would always want to do stop motion and stuff. Uh, I would never count anything out, but, um, you know, right now I just don't have the story to tell for that. A puppet horror would be good. Yeah. I love, I mean, like, man, I love meet the feebles and I love like, you know, Peter Jackson was so ballsy at that time to make a movie. Oh, like bad that. taste. Yeah. Uh, bad taste and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Was wicked. Yeah. So. Um, you know, if, if, if something calls for it, it comes up, you know, Hey man, you know, I love that kind of shit. Have you seen the horror film rare exports? That's sort of got a Christmassy feel about it. I think it's a Swedish film or a Norwegian film. I'm probably wrong on both accounts. It's about an evil Santa Claus. I've I've, I've heard of, I've heard of it. I have not seen it. I have not seen it. It's really good. It's, and it's and it, and it's like you know really good. I'd like to tell you one good horror film I've seen in the last type five to ten years is Troll Hunter. That impressed me. I seen Troll Hunter. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, really yeah. good. So, well, thanks for coming on. I know time short, and I know it's been a bit of an asshole getting here with like days and like you know the times and fucking UK and where you are and that. But thank you so much. Are they um garbage pail kids cards behind you? Yeah, they are. Oh, they're wicked. Yes. Um, You know, they're all the first edition. Some of the first. I have have every Garbage Pail Kid from the first 15 series. And then that is like original artists have drawn Garbage Pail Kids for me and my wife. And then there are other. um, uh, Did did you get the comics a couple of years ago when like the comics came out? I didn't get the comics. Again, I have to be careful at like. Since I'm a collector, it's easy for me to fall in the fucking trap and, like, just buy everything. So, like, I had to stick with the original 15, but then I ended up getting, like, the horror ones that came out that I thought were really cool. 
in the eighties yeah. ones that were really cool, but I had to, I had to like stop because you know I'm just I'm, I, what am I doing? You're just sitting in boxes, you know what I mean? So I yeah. I um I have to like be really picky on what I buy. I've got most of the last edition that came out in the UK of the Garbage Pail Kids, but they seem to have stopped doing them now. So I'm hoping they'll bring some more out, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. So thanks again, Fred, for coming on. Um, and I'll send you the links and everything. Please like, share and follow and go check Fred's films out because they're awesome. Bit gruesome, but they're awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. All right. Cheers, dude. See you soon. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Are we still recording? The Tea Biscuits Podcast.